it's a reminder that we are we are dead essentially without Jesus. We can do nothing without him. Like Jesus himself says that in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me you can do nothing. Hi friends, a quick note that partway through this podcast my audio input changed and so the audio gets really, really bad. So uh, just a fair warning, sorry about that. It will be fixed for next time. Hello friends, I have not been sleeping well, but not only have I not been sleeping well, I will, instead of sleeping, I will just start eating instead. I went to the doctor and he said there's actually a clinical name for that. It's called insomnomnomnomnomnomnomnia. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 154. So glad to have you with us. We start every episode with a dad joke, so I hope that brought you joy. And if it's your first time listening, please make sure you rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening to it. You can do it on Spotify. If it's been a while since you gave us a rating and review and you're a regular listener, please go back and do that. Those things need to keep getting updated so people can continue to find the podcast and be blessed by it. And if it's a blessing to you, it might be a blessing to someone else. So remember the highest compliment you can pay me in this podcast is sharing it with your friends and family by word of mouth or on social media. And if you do that, please tag us at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram. You can find all of our content and social media contacts on our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com shortened version. And uh, when you go on there on our website, you can now subscribe to our weekly Psalm Reflection newsletter. So you can get the Psalm Reflection sent to your inbox every Wednesday before anyone else gets it. Uh, And you'll get the link to the latest podcast episodes on there as well. So just one weekly email. Uh, So go ahead and sign up for that on the website if you have not yet done so. And while you're there, you can click on the Give tab if you're interested in becoming a financial sponsor for this podcast for as little as $1 a month because this podcast does cost money and you can help keep it on the air and be a patron. And patrons are a huge blessing to me. Patrons will eventually get perks. The perks are in the works. And I'm so thankful for all of you patrons. So with all that being said, let's get into our joy junk in Jesus. So my joy is that we've been having a lot of people over and we have a lot of fun social things coming up. And so I'm just very excited to be able to see friends and build community, build new friendships and cultivate existing ones and and help them continue to grow. And we're just so grateful for all the people that God has placed in our lives, especially all of the holy Catholic people that God has placed around us and just really good ongoing consistent friendships that we've had even from like childhood that we've maintained. So that's just been really beautiful. My junk is that, um, I don't know, it's been a little uh, difficult for me in my Lenten commitments this past week. Um, but apart from that, I hurt my leg at the gym this morning. And I feel like all of my uh, my junks are the same. It's always something gym or illness related. So, um, But hey, there, things could be way worse. So I'll take what I can get. And then um, my Jesus moment Uh, I always say Bible study, but you know, it's really been diving into these Gospels these past three weeks, these three extended Gospels for the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent during cycle A um, of the woman at the well, the man born blind, and the raising of Lazarus. And they're just these beautiful, like, one-on-one moments where Jesus encounters someone and heals them. And that just really struck me last night at Bible study how powerful those are and kind of relates to what I want to talk about today. So, Without further ado, let's get into our second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Comprised mainly of Gentiles, because for five years all the Jews were expelled from Rome, and then they come back and they're trying to integrate and bring together these different cultures, religious traditions, different understandings of what it means to be Christian, all in the epicenter of Roman paganism 
and just secular ideology and you know worship and all of that stuff trying to figure out what it means to be Christian what it means to be set apart so in this part of Romans Paul is writing to the church telling them basically like you can't do any of this on your own like what unites you and what you need is the Spirit of God what you need is to recognize that Jesus only can do this through you you only have any ability to do anything because of what Jesus did so uh, without further ado, Romans chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the Spirit, if only the Spirit of God dwells in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit dwelling in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I will say briefly in this passage, you have some of this body and soul um, juxtaposition. And this is very common in Greek philosophy and Greek thought, and it's kind of absorbed into a lot of the New Testament thinking. And Paul was very well educated, especially in, he was Greek educated, spoke Greek, was very well, well formed in all of that. And so there's a saying in Greek, I think it's in Greek, soma sema, the body is a tomb. Uh, that might be the Latinized version. But uh, basically the, this idea that the body and the things of the flesh were bad, and we need to ascend above those to the spiritual. And um, though there is some truth in that, like our temptations are the world, the flesh, and the devil, very earthly things, um, Catholic theology does not think that the body is bad. The body is good because the body and soul are fully integrated and that the spirit animates the body. And so anything that affects the body affects the spirit and vice versa. And so uh, what Paul is talking about here is not just like denying you know, your body completely and only like thinking about spiritual things, but it's recognizing that in order to please God and live a fulfilling life, we need to be thinking beyond our bodily needs and desires and thinking beyond them to this supernatural life that we're invited into because of what Jesus did for us. And all of that, uh, the crux of all of that, the hinge point is the fact that the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The one who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. That it's only because of the Holy Spirit and only because of what Jesus did that we have the ability to attain salvation. That we can have a relationship with God. That these good things can happen in our life. And it's a reminder that we are, we are dead, essentially, without Jesus. We can do nothing without him. Like Jesus himself says that in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, what I want to talk about in this episode is that sometimes we can take that too far. Sometimes we can take that to the point where we feel as though we are worthless. And this is actually part of a doctrine in Protestantism called the doctrine of total depravity, meaning like we are just gross, condemned, terrible without Jesus. Like we are in utter rags. And this comes from a passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And it's, it's often taken out of context when it's used for this Protestant doctrine of total depravity. But you can see how this sounds in Romans 3. It says, as it is written, there is no one just, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have gone astray. 
All alike are worthless. There is not one who does good. There is not even one. Sheesh, Paul. Like, seriously, are you kidding me? Well, Paul is writing this way to basically tell the church in Rome, like, look, like, all of the good that's happening in you, like, good for you, but that's not about you. It's for God's glory, and it's only because God is working in you that you can do those things. So stop seeking after your own edification. Stop puffing yourselves up in pride because this is not because of you and this is not for you. Now what this evolved into in terms of a Protestant doctrine is this doctrine of what's called total depravity or utter depravity. And it basically states that like people are so wounded by original sin that we are incapable of doing any good at all or at least not able to do good works that impact our salvation. Um, and this, you know, is based on Martin Luther and John Calvin's reading of that passage. Even though St. Paul cites in there a number of psalms in that passage, he's actually quoting psalms, Psalms uh, 14 and Psalms 53, uh, and another passage in Isaiah, it also is quoting Ecclesiastes 7, uh, and in all of those, um, those talk about the righteous, how the righteous and the wicked are distinguished, and that indicates that Paul, he's not speaking absolutely regarding like all of mankind's depravity, but what he's talking about is that sin has taken hold of God's people and not just the world in general. That sin has taken hold of us and we can do nothing without him. We can't fix this situation without him. So in that sense, Paul, he's using hyperbolic language. He's using uh, very extreme language to emphasize how pervasive sin is and that everybody needs a savior. There are other passages in Paul, like in Romans 1 and 2 and other places in Romans, that, that say specifically that, that people are able to choose between good and evil and that our choices actually impact our salvation. And there are similar things in the New Testament. I mean, look at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' various teachings. Look at the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. Whatever you did to these least brothers of mine, you did to me. Look at James 2.24. See how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That our actions do not merit us salvation, but once we respond to the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, we're committing to that relationship just like a marriage. I now need to act like I'm part of that relationship. I'm now going to be judged by the works that I do or do not do if they are meeting the qualifications of that relationship. So just like if I get married, or I am married, I don't know why I made that hypothetical, I'm married to my wife, and on the day of our wedding, I made certain vows and commitments. From that day forward, I need to do the work and act as such in life and in that relationship to show that I meant what I said in responding. But I couldn't earn my wife's love. She only was able to give it to me freely. The same thing is true for Jesus. I can't earn what Jesus did for me on the cross. He offers it to me freely. But when I respond to it in faith and am justified by that faith, by what Jesus did for me on the cross, that initial justification requires an ongoing process of justification where I am becoming more righteous and sanctified by the works that I am doing in response to Jesus. So basically, it's not a one and done. And it's not that we are totally depraved in our sins and we are incapable of doing, doing anything about it. It means that we can do nothing apart from the good that God is working in our lives. But we still have the choice to cooperate with grace. We still have the ability to do something about our salvation. We can respond in faith, yes, but we still need to follow that up with the actions, the commitment, because in the end, like it says in Matthew 25, the judgment of the nations, we will be judged based on the things that we did, not just the faith that we had. Now, I wanted to bring this up because sometimes when we talk about this doctrine, 
it 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 has a, a certain um, I don't know what you would say what's the word a certain parallel with this idea of like Catholic guilt that when I've done something wrong, we can apply this kind of sense of total depravity to ourselves. If we're being too scrupulous, we can start feeling like, oh, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I don't have worth. God doesn't love me. Um, God sees all my sins, and he sees how depraved I am. There's no hope for me. And we can get very, very down on ourselves. And I just wanted to remind you, like, when you feel like you're not good enough, know that God found you worth dying for. When you feel too proud and entitled, on the other end of that, know that apart from you, apart from God, you can do nothing. And so there's this balance between these two things. Like, God finds you worth dying for, but also, apart from him, you can do nothing. He finds you good enough, and yet, we cannot think we are so good enough that we can do this without him. And this reminds me, I think I talked last time about St. Ignatius, uh, Ignatius's rules, 12, 13, and 14. It actually reminds me of Rule 11. And I really love the 11th rule because it's basically about what do you do in moments of consolation and desolation to kind of get back or, or re remain where you are to not get out of consolation or when you're in desolation to get back into consolation. And basically this is what St. Ignatius writes in the 11th rule. He says, let the one who is consoled seek to humble himself and lower himself as much as he can, thinking of how little he is capable in the time of desolation without such grace or consolation. So basically, he's first saying, when things are going well in your spiritual life, remember to humble and lower yourself, because in this moment, and especially in moments of desolation, remember, you can't do anything for yourself without the grace of God. Okay? And on the contrary, when we're in desolation, when we're in a really low place, we need to think that we can do much with God's sufficient grace to resist all his enemies, taking strength in his Creator and Lord. So it depends on where we are. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we can do something, we can act, that we can do good works, that we are not totally depraved and without any capability of helping ourselves, but that all of that happens with God's sufficient grace. And so when we're in desolation, be reminded you can do much with God's grace to resist all his enemies, to resist the temptations and the works of the evil one, and we can take strength in Jesus. You know, it's these famous phrases from Scripture we sometimes don't pay attention to, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not on my own. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's empowering that idea within us and the ability to invite Jesus in us to do the good, that it's not, it's not something we can do on our own. We need Jesus so desperately, so desperately, as the second reading reminds us. If we're in the flesh, we cannot please God, only in the Spirit of God, only if the Spirit of God dwells in us. And if the Spirit of God dwells in us, it's the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead and will do the same in us. We cannot do it on our own. And so, again, when we feel like we're not good enough, when we're feeling guilty, when we're feeling like we're never going to get out of this rut of sin, if we're having a really difficult Lent, remember, God sees us, He knows us, He loves us, He sees you, He knows you, He loves you, and He finds you worth dying for. Remember, you do not need to change in order for God to love you, but God's love will change you. You do not need to change in order for God to love you, but God's love will change you. And once it begins to change you, 
and you start making those good decisions, maybe you're in a moment of consolation, you start to get a little too proud and entitled like the Romans got, Paul writes to them to remind them, this is just because of what God is doing in you. Apart from God, you can do nothing. And so we need to be recognizing constantly our need for him, but also the tenderness with which he comes to us and desires to be with us one-on-one, just like these past weeks in the Gospels, the Gospel we're going to hear this Sunday, where Jesus comes to the woman at the well a few weeks ago, where he heals the man born blind last week, and this week where he comes to tenderly comfort and weep with Martha and Mary and their friends and family, and then raise Lazarus from the dead, to be with them in these intimate moments of supernatural grace and abundance. Not every miracle is a feeding of the 5,000. Most miracles are Jesus going to the one and doing something transformative in their life. And that's what Jesus is desiring to do in your life and in mine each and every day. But he cannot do it unless we invite his Holy Spirit into us. Unless we recognize our need for God and we stop thinking that we can do it ourselves. And so if you're struggling, don't try and do it on your own. Bring it to the Lord. Ask for the grace and the help to overcome sin and temptation, to be the people, the person that God has created you to be. But when you're feeling good, remember, Jesus himself reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So let us always be humble and grateful, doing everything that we can. It's like that phrase, I think it's attributed to St. Augustine, Uh, pray as if everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. And if we continue to do both of those things, we'll find that balance and be able to cultivate a relationship with God that is abundant, that is spirit-driven and spirit-led, that is not dependent on us or for our own glory, but allows God's glory to be manifest in our life and in the lives of those around us as His Holy Spirit pours out of us. That is all I have for you this week. I pray that that reading blesses you. pray that you are able to get to Mass and hear those readings and be in community. Let us pray and worship together this upcoming Sunday of Lent as we hear the powerful reading of the raising of Lazarus and ask for and expect resurrection in our own lives. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you.